0: All right. Welcome back. This is uh, Larry Wilmore. I am black on the air. Hope you guys are doing great out there. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. If you're listening to it on the holiday or past the holiday, Um, I'm taping this actually a couple of days before Thanksgiving uh, here in California. It's real sunny and hot, man. No climate change happening here, y'all but it's beautiful here. Hope everybody has a really good uh, Thanksgiving, get some good food, get that itis. Just let that turkey <laughs> knock you out. I always find a way to to overeat, even when I say I'm not. I just always do it. When you think about it, what Thanksgiving really is about is about gluttony, uh, football, sleeping, pie. I think that's what America is all about, in fact. When you when you come when it comes down to it. That's what America's about. Gluttony, football, and pie. It really when you think about it, that's a joke, but it really does sum up America in a lot of different ways. Uh the good and the bad, I think. Because who doesn't like pie, right? That's all I'm saying. So a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Uh by the way, we have a really cool podcast uh today coming up with David Diggs, uh, the talented actor, musician entrepreneur almost, you know. He was one of the stars of Hamilton, won a Tony Award for it. He's just such a talented guy. Also one of the producers of The Mayor show on ABC, which um, I was uh, helping out on this year, and he was working on. He's just a real cool guy. We had a great conversation. Actually, we taped it last week, but I think you'll get, have a lot of fun listening to to that young man. See, I'm old enough where I can call people young. That young man is very talented. Such a talented young man. So, couple of things I'll talk about (laughs) today. The first one, oh God, it just makes me laugh so hard. This whole, okay, for all my sports fans out there, you've been following, you know how I feel about LeVar Ball, the father of Lonzo Ball and all the other La 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 Balls, whatever their names are. So this, (laughs) the recent situation with his son, LeAngelo, I think it was, right? LeAngelo Ball. He plays for UCLA. I'm just catching you guys up that don't know the story. Some of you know this already. But his son, LeAngelo, plays for UCLA. He's a freshman there. And the team took a trip to Shanghai, I believe, or somewhere in China. He and two other athletes stole some sunglasses or attempted to steal some sunglasses from, like, three different stores, one of them being Louis Vuitton. They got in trouble. Of course they got cut. How are you going to be? A six foot six brother in China and not be conspicuous, first of all. You know, which a lot of people have said, oh, hope nobody sees me taking these shades. You know, you're right. That's going to happen. So anyhow, the stupidity about doing something like this mixed with the entitlement. I think I talked about this last time. Of course, just horrible. Okay, so Trump just happens to be in China doing God knows what. Nobody even knows what Trump does in these foreign visits anymore. You know, we just... We just hope he doesn't blow up the whole world while he's out there, <laughs> out there walking through it. So so apparently this happened while he's there. And apparently it's hard to know with Trump because he takes credit for everything. But I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. Apparently he spoke to the premier of China and asked him asked him to go easy on these guys who were going to be locked up or something for who knows how long in a country like that, right? And assist it with their release, right? If Trump did that, that's awesome. That is an amazing thing to do for a president to intervene on behalf of, you know, some kids who obviously did something wrong. But, yes, they're Americans, and he intervened, and that's a great thing. Uh, of course, Trump can't just accept the fact that he did a great thing, and he's got to go on Twitter and say— Watch. Let's see if they if they thank me. It's like shut up, Trump. Just shut up for one second. Give them a fucking chance to thank you. You know. And of course, the students were very they they, they were uh, very chagrined. I guess you could say they had a press conference where they were very sober and they and they very rightfully so thanked the president. You know. And they were very clear about thanking the president. And then it seemed like he accepted their thanks. Even as I'm saying this, by the way, guys, this it feels so. Uh, junior high, middle school, as I'm talking about this. It all seems so petty, um, some of the back and forth I it. Okay, so that seemed like the end of the story, right? But then the dad, LeVar, he gets involved in somehow taking the thank you back, let's just say, or, or shitting on the thank you, or not thanking Trump, or whatever. So then Trump gets in a war with the dad and says he should have left the guys in there. But here's my point. Okay, it's tough for me to say, but Trump was right in this case. You know, those kids— First of all, the whole family not only should be thanking Trump, <laughs> here's what I believe. They owe Trump, man. If that's your son who could be in a Chinese prison, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lavar. You can't say shit. You have to be thankful for that. This is on you now. You can't act, you can't uh, be all wishy-washy about this. In fact, You should be a Trump supporter at this point. The rest of us don't have to be. This is not our son that was in China. LeVar, you should be out there, like, supporting Trump at this point. That's how thankful you should be, because places like China aren't kidding around. I mean, we saw the horrible thing that happened to the kid in North Korea. When you're locked up in an authoritarian regime, they're not kidding around. So from my point of view, I think LeVar should be Kellyanne Conway at this point. I think he should be on the front lines of just defending Trump. I mean, that's your boy now. Trump should be your boy. You know, I don't care how you feel about him. He released your son from a fate worse than any prison in America. Who knows what that is, okay? Here's what I realized about LeVar. And if and guys, please, Google the conversation he had with Chris Cuomo that was on uh, CNN when he took over Don Lemon. I think it was Monday of Thanksgiving week, Monday night. Please Google it. It's a train wreck, all right? And here's what I realized. This is why... LeVar can never do the right thing. He basically is a black Trump. That's basically what he is without the money. He's a black Trump without the money. I mean, he speaks in circles just like Trump. He needs, he's definitely a narcissistic sociopath, just like Trump. He wants the empire that Trump has with the big baller brand or whatever. Good luck. I think he's still calling in from Chino Hills. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's gonna happen with the thousand dollar sneakers. But he's that's his problem right now. He's basically a broke black Trump at this point, hoping that his sons will uh deliver to him the promised land of these riches he so desires. But he's a train wreck. But it would it would be so awesome if he was trapped in having to uh <laughs> <laughs> to have Trump be his boy for the rest of his days that would make me very happy. I think he should be personally. I really do. You know, I'm just glad something like that didn't happen to me cuz uh, I wouldn't be able to take it. Okay. On a serious note, I just wanted to say a couple of words about the sexual harassment allegations going on in Hollywood and politics and on the news and all this stuff right now and the rate in which they're coming out, you know, it's kind of overwhelming. At, at least Some of it, you know, it's funny. A lot of it is surprising to men, but women are going, well, duh, this is the world we live in, you know? And it's good for, I think, a lot of men to see that, for us men to realize how ubiquitous this issue is, you know? Just how ridiculously common so many of these things are. The real horrible ones, the criminal activity and all that stuff is horrible, but just the way women are treated so often in the workplace without any recourse. Hopefully, these things are opening, you know, men's eyes and everything. But I wanted to focus on a few of these apologies and just point out how horrible some of them are and some of the responses, because it's the opposite of listening to what's going on and being, as I called, I I uh, made a statement about this last week. I was hosting the um, Television Academy's Hall of Fame Awards, and I spoke about that men need to be a, a woke ally in this, you know. And I'll I'll post it on Twitter again, the whole speak about that. But in a nutshell is it takes active listening in this, you know, you have to actively listen as men. We have to open our eyes to what's happening, you know, cause it's not just the horrible monsters that are being ferreted out of their holes. You know, there's a lot of behavior that goes on that people think is normal, but it is not normal. And women are, you know, are saying guys cut this shit out. This, this, This is not right. You think it's normal, but it's not. All right, so some of these horrible apologies. First, the Louis C.K. apology. Here's what struck me about it, and please, please read it. First of all, he never once apologizes to anybody in his statement. Not once. He never once says, I am sorry. This was a horrible thing that I did. I apologize to everybody I did this to. I I mean— masturbating in front of you? What was I thinking? That was horrible. I'm sorry. Right? No, he goes on to do some psychological explanation of this and acts like we're supposed to assume that he was too dumb to realize what he was doing was he didn't know it was a non-consensual act, that somehow he mistook their shock of him asking, can I take out my penis and jerk off in front of you? Somehow he interpreted their shock as a consensual nod or something, which is ridiculous. Nobody wants to see that. Sam B. had the best take on this, where she says, guys, nobody wants to see your dick. Your dick is ugly. right? <laughs> it's really funny. I mean, that was a funny take, if she could say that. But the reality is nobody wants to see that. Who? What makes you think that could be consensual, right? And the fact that he would use that as part of his defense that he thought that is really insulting to all of us. He knows what he did was wrong. He absolutely knows what he did was wrong. In fact, I think he even admitted that he may have called up some women years later and tried to apologize or whatever. But in the statement, he does not apologize. That bothered me. And the second part that I found really offensive in this is that he uses the word dick, okay? Now, keep in mind, he's not doing a stand-up act. He's not like, talking to friends, he's making a statement that is supposed to be a sensitive statement about remorse, right? And he says, I didn't know of that pulling out my dick or whatever he said, I don't remember the exact words, but he said it twice. To me, that is continuing to be masturbatory. You are only thinking of yourself. How dare you use that language when you're talking about this? Really? You're going to say dick? I mean, seriously, that is, it's not paying attention to even the, what it is that you're actually doing right now. It's once again only concerned about yourself in this arena and actually sexually assaulting our ears by using this language. I, I, I just found it astounding that he would use that language. You know, It's just bizarre to me. The other disappointing one was Al Franken, guys, and I'm so disappointed in, in the Al Franken thing because here's the thing. In Al Franken's response, and Al Franken was accused by a couple of people, one person he was working uh, on a USO show with, and she says that he wrote a scene where he wrote in a kiss, and she was like, oh, whatever, (laughs) and he said, I think we need to rehearse this, she said, I don't need to rehearse that, it's just a kiss, he said, no, he supposedly insisted on it, and she alleges that he, like, grabbed her by the back of the head and, like, shoved his tongue down her throat. She pushed him away. What the fuck is wrong with you? And it was that type of thing. It was, like, some awkward situation. And then later on, there was a picture of him doing what he thought was a joke, where it looked like he was groping her while she was asleep. Both of those things are horrible. One, I think, I can kind of see, I'm not justifying this, but someone's taking a picture, and maybe there was a culture where they were taking these funny pictures because the pictures were circulated. That one might be able to explain away as, as a horrible joke that went wrong. But the other one cannot be explained away. And when Al Franken says—oh, and there was another woman who says that she took a picture with him when he was senator. And during the picture, he actually squeezed her butt like he groped it. He squeezed it. It wasn't like his hand accidentally landed on it, like he squeezed it. And she mentioned in her Facebook account at the time— how horrible this was, right? So the way that Al Franken handles this, and he gave a real short comment at first, which wasn't satisfying, but then he gave a, long, a longer one. And on the surface, it seems okay, but here's the problem, guys. When he says things like, I don't remember that. I, there's a problem with that because I don't think there's such a thing as an accidental groper. You know, That shit doesn't happen by accident. And okay, he might not remember taking a picture, with the woman at the Minnesota State Fair? Because, yeah, he's a senator. He takes a lot of pictures. But you know whether or not you're a fucking groper. You know if you squeeze women's asses because you don't just happen to do that that day. Like, oh, you know, I can't believe I was taking a picture and I squeezed that woman's ass. How odd. You know, why did I do that? Sorry, man. I didn't, my hand just took charge by itself. No, motherfucker. That's what you do. That's your, that's your jam, all right? You know if you do that. Even if you don't remember that woman, you know you do that shit. And that's why even with the shoving his tongue down somebody's throat, if he says he doesn't remember that, which that one I think he does remember because that's a performance. It's so specific. You have to remember that. But if you don't remember, it's a bigger problem because that means this shit is is an unconscious act you're now performing that's how ingrained it is into your system that you grope women's asses you shove your tongue down their throats you think that shit is okay and it's so okay that you don't even remember it that's a huge problem so it's not good to say i don't recollect this it that's not a good thing guys sorry and if you're lying about it then you need to flip that you need to flip that script immediately Because that's how you really take accountability and take remorse. You say, Look, you're right. I did that. I was so wrong. And I need to stop this immediately because I've been groping women's asses and thought that was okay for years. That's telling the truth. It is not telling the truth to say, I don't recall that. It's not telling the whole truth, is what I'm saying. And the last one is so disappointing, also. It's disappointing on many different levels, it's primarily disappointing for the women involved is the Charlie Rose story, which broke the other day. Like I said, this is a couple of days before Thanksgiving. It's so disappointing because here's someone who is in such a position of power and respect. And I'm sure many women who have worked for him have really looked up to him and saw him as this uh, titan in the news business that, you know, having an opportunity with him, of course, would be great. And the Washington Post story is breathtaking. These By the way, the work that the people are doing, men and women, on breaking these stories and the journalism that's going on right now is amazing. This is amazing journalism, you guys. It's amazing because it's so important. And the work that they're doing, some of it has taken years. And once again, the problematic thing in Charlie Rose's response is there's one passage in there where he says... You know, something like I mistook this for a consensual thing or like he read them wrong. It's that type of thing. And I apologize for not having the right words, but it, it's something to that effect, like letting himself off the hook. Like he he didn't read the room right. OK, here here's what's wrong about that. If you have to take creepy, <laughs> creepy showers while women are working for you, where you're coming out naked and you got to shove your hand down someone's pants and they're crying. What the fuck about that makes you think that—what room are you reading that isn't right there? How are you misreading what's going on there? That's not only assault, guys. That is such an abuse of power. You can't misread their intentions. You can't say some shit like that. We're not stupid. You've already cultivated a smart audience with the type of show that you do. How? Why do you think the audience you've cultivated is suddenly going to be dumb And not going to understand what you're talking and just think they're just going to buy the stuff that you're talking about. Stop that, guys. Stop it. Come on. If we're going to be honest in this area, if we're going to go forward, if this is really going to be watershed moment, these apologies got to be better. They got to be stepped up. They got to be honest. They got to really be heartfelt. Fucking apologize. Don't make it about you because it's not about you. You did some horrible shit and apologize for that. Be honest about it. Own up to what you did. That's what really being a man is about, owning up to your shit and then taking the consequences for it because you're the one that did it. You're the one that ruined people's lives. You're the one that made people feel uncomfortable. You're the reason why many of these women can't stop thinking about this shit every fucking day. All right, that's enough. It's Thanksgiving. We can't be—we got to think turkey. (laughs) I apologize for that. I just had to get that out. All right, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We have a great conversation with David Diggs coming up. But first, this little word. All right, I am back here with a very special guest. Um, very talented uh, star of the Broadway musical Hamilton, as well as many other things. has a new movie coming out called Wonder that he is a part of right now, hey, hey. which seems very exciting. This man is he's one of those multi-talented... You can't pin him down <laughs> <laughs> to one thing. Mr. David Diggs. Hey, man. Hey. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, before we get into like your life, which is so... I mean, there's so many interesting things that you're into, that you've done, and and where you're going, and just your thoughts and stuff. Tell me about this film. One, it's called Wonder, right? Yeah. Um, what is a, that all about?
1: It's a really great film, um, starring Jacob Tremblay and mm-hmm. Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson, and it's um, based on. A book by R.J. Palacio and it's mm. uh, about a, a young boy with craniofacial difference and mm-hmm. him going to school for the first time yeah. um, and it's just a, a really great story uh, that encourages a lot of things that we need right now like uh-huh. kindness and like um, <laughs> Why would you say <laughs> we need kindness right now? <laughs> and, I don't like, understand it. <laughs> Acceptance and community uh-huh. building and all kinds of you know things yeah. that are the antithesis to our daily narrative. He has kind of a, a disfigurement I guess you could mm-hmm. call it. It's
0: kind of like Mask. Remember that movie? <laughs>
1: yeah. Something like that. Yeah, it's similar. But um, uh-huh. but it really is um, for, or it is it is from Jacob's perspective in a lot of ways, uh-huh. or from Augie's perspective. And it's, right. it is, it is the real stars of the film are these young actors. There's uh-huh. a lot of kids in it. Um, and they are really just incredible it's actors. Amazing how talented yeah. some of these young kids are. Now, right? I sound <laughs> like these young kids. Yeah, I know kids <laughs> I know. these days. But that's, right. So you know, I did this. I actually shot this the day after I left Hamilton. Like, really? so yes, yeah, the first that's thing I did ago. after Hamilton, we uh-huh. like it was crazy to. I got sent the script and fell in love with it. And was like, how can we do this? We had mm-hmm. to smash it into the schedule because right. there was so much stuff going on. Um, Tell me about your part. What kind of part do you play? I'm playing Augie's teacher, uh, Mr. Brown, who uh, he teaches all the kids all these precepts. Mm-hmm. Um, to live by and he is very concerned with sort of who they are as people as well as the lessons that he's teaching, he becomes sort of a mentor a figure to Aggie. You're kind of like a dead poet society. It's type a little teacher, yeah, yeah. Mr. Holland's opus. Yeah, a little bit. It's yeah. it's um but it's nice to be uh-huh. in a movie for kids yeah. where the teacher is not the antagonist. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you yeah. don't you don't see that a whole lot. And oh, I think, it's very um, pro
0: education. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh-huh. Well it's it's you know, for me playing this part was about honoring some of the great teachers that I had when I was a kid and also sort of shining, uh, like trying to create a a really positive example of a job that is criminally underappreciated. Uh, You know what? I couldn't
0: agree more. I've had teachers in my family, and a lot of the seminal uh, parts of my early life were things that teachers said to me or, you know, the effort that teachers took on my behalf. You you grew up in the Bay Area, right? Northern California, Mm -hmm. that Bay Area. That one. Yeah. You consider yourself biracial? Is that what you say? Yeah. Well, your parents—uh—which which one was white? Which was black? My was... mom's white. My dad's black. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you have a sense of that? Was that part of your personal identity growing up, or? Yeah, I guess so. I mean,
1: everyone's biracial in the Bay Area, kind of, you oh, know, yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a—you know—it's a pretty mixed-up place. But it was. I—I uh-huh. I definitely sort of. That is. How I always yeah. identified myself. So and, with you growing up, it wasn't like you—you you were
0: different from a lot of people. That was kind of the milieu of uh, what it was at that time. Kind mm-hmm. of. I mean,
1: it, yeah, there was a lot of mixed race kid. I grew up around a lot of mixed race kids, oh, and it wow. wasn't always That's black and white, but it was—you know—like yeah. there were a lot of. of you folks may be that
0: first race. generation. Yeah. I think where. Like the minds, they always say the kids always are the change of society because they <laughs> they change their minds first. They don't change their minds, but they have the different opinion, you know. Right. So you're kind of in that first generation of that mixed group, I guess you could say, to use crude terms.
1: Yeah, and, I think yeah. yeah, and there's something sort of specific about the Bay Area uh-huh. to I think those of us born in the '80s. You know, like our, our parents are products of the '60s, so. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's it's kind of like Black Panther country yeah yeah it's also <laughs> Oakland was was Black Panther country right, so right. there's all of that there's all of this sort of revolutionary spirit there's also all of this sort of like uh, flower child kind of um, that's right yeah. you know all inclusive spirit and uh, yeah. and then y- you know like it's also in terms of sexual orientation like a, mm-hmm. a place that is sort of ahead has always been kind of ahead of the curve so yeah. it wasn't I didn't feel a lot of the the things that I think sort of black folks feel growing up until I went to mm-hmm. college on the on the East Coast. You know, until like I, Yeah. I, uh, San Francisco gets a lot of credit for that, but it really is the whole area. Yeah. 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 I think. Um, but, you know, and yeah. So and I had you know, I had so many like out gay friends in high mm-hmm. school and, you right. know, so I didn't I didn't. Feel a lot of that the animosity towards that community either until I was I was gone, Um, so it's it's an interesting place to grow up I think because you. Um it it's a bubble within a bubble, right? It's like yeah. it's a coastal it's a coastal city that is even even further insulated in a lot of ways. Even though, you know, what it's still a very segregated place in a lot of ways it is. It is. Yeah, I mean it's
0: real interesting in yeah. that way where you can go out to Marin County
1: or right. you know, right.
0: some of these other suburb places. Right. And but if re- you
1: can have a completely different feel about what's totally. what's happening. But then there. right in the middle of Marin County, or well, right on the side of it, but it, the they're you know those Marin City projects are right there, yes. where like Pot grew up, and like you know, I mean, it's yeah. I used to teach over there mm-hmm. a little bit, and uh, yeah, it's a fascinating place where like there are for some reason no resources given to these these buildings that are in within the county of like one of the wealthiest counties. Yeah in the world. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny when you're a young adult and you first
0: notice those things, it's a real eye-opener, right? You don't see them really as a kid as much. Like, you you feel it sometimes depending on where you are in it. No, exactly. But even when you're in the middle of projects or poverty or that, you don't have the same sense of it as when you're able to get away from
1: it and kind of look back or look to the side of it or whatever. No, totally. I remember I was teaching over there in in Marin City and and, uh, there was like a a storm or something the power went out for the whole area uh-huh. and everybody's power was back on within a few hours except the kids in uh, these projects who didn't have hot water for a week and it was just like what's what is going on here yeah. are they on a separate grid I don't understand it's all, it feels like intentional yeah it makes you think of Puerto
0: Rico what's right. going on like Puerto Rico is the United States project exactly yeah, exactly <laughs> something that's, like that, that
1: is exactly it's like oh right. the United States is real nice <laughs> what are those projects over there oh that's Puerto Rico that's right. Puerto Rico yeah 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 it's, yeah, it's this very, like, sort of... It's gross. Yeah. It's
0: like, did you have a sense um, at a young age that you wanted to go into the arts at all? or Well, when did that first make its calling
1: on you? I think I... Well, so I, I, I knew I enjoyed being mm-hmm. on stage pretty... I was in fourth grade. And fourth uh, grade? Yeah. Our, that is young. I know. Our our teacher used to make the whole class memorize poems uh, every That's week. Funny and the whole class would, like, recite the same <laughs> poem. You know? No, wait. Were you... It was one of those things, because I kind of went through this, where our class had to do what we thought was the
0: nerdy stuff like that. (laughs) And people would kind of, would laugh. Like, other classes got to do the cool stuff. I was always in the class that had to do what I considered (laughs) the nerdy stuff. What was your opinion of it at the time? Did you think it was cool, or? I don't think, Mm.
1: I also had just, so this was sort of my second year having moved to public school. I was in this, like, sort of real hippie, like, private kindergarten Uh, first grade second grade I Mm -hmm. I got like a scholarship to go there something my mom was very careful about keeping me out of the Oakland public school system Mm -hmm. as long as possible right so let's Uh, put him with the hippies right right (laughs) which which means that I didn't prepare him for
0: real life exactly (laughs) so which means
1: I didn't know what homework was like the first time I took a test
0: don't sweat it brother You don't gotta study, brother. Just feel, feel the knowledge. Exactly. Just feel the,
1: the first time I took a test, I cried. Like I didn't. You know what I saying? I'd never experienced wow. that before. We didn't have PE. We had movement. Like the real deal. Movement. The good. So uh, <laughs> uh, just breathe, brother. Walden. Walden Elementary yeah. School. It's still there. That's my white um, hippie impression. Thank you very much. Sounds, it's really on point. I love. <laughs> I love that it's Walden too. Of all things. But it, so. All that to say, when I transferred to public school, I didn't really understand the rules. It yeah. took me a long time, so I was like, "This is what we do: we memorize poems." Um, <laughs> you know. So you were kind of a free spirit uh, type of kid, maybe from the beginning there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't have a lot of restrictions, I guess. Maybe I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in many ways, I did not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're giving these poems to memorize every week, and uh, I, at some point, was bored enough with just hearing the same poem over and over mm-hmm. that I, I figured I would act mine out, and I don't remember what I did uh-huh. but I do remember that all the kids laughed when I wanted them to laugh and I was very shy I was a very shy kid yeah, um, and I'm still a pretty shy kid but yeah. uh, it's funny how many performers are a lot you of people know, don't realize it yeah yet. and mm-hmm. so I, I've i I still remember this moment of mm-hmm. of be, I love people I've always loved being in groups of people right. but I'm often like so nervous yeah but performing gave me a reason to be there and allowed me a sort of control over the situation. Oh, cool. So it was like, oh, I get to be around people. Right. And, like, I, people might laugh at a joke that I make. And right. so I, I kind of got hooked right then. I still remember that pretty palpably. Did you do, like, plays in high school and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I always—I mm-hmm. never did—so high school was, like, straight plays in the fall and musicals in the spring. But I was running track sure. also. i had been running track since I was a— you know, eight years old right, or something. Something, so. something
0: I did as well. Yeah, yeah, so much in common. Yeah, yeah.
1: so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I could always do the plays in the fall, but then tracks started in the spring. So, I needed right. new musicals. So, you had to learn how to juggle things at an early age. Yeah, so. I was playing the saxophone too. So I, wow. I went in, man. Now, did you, were <laughs> you rapping
0: during that time? Yeah. Did, when yeah. did you start doing that?
1: Yeah, I uh, probably around that time, I'm 14 years old or something, uh-huh. I, a friend of mine started making beats. Um, and didn't know any real rappers. Uh-huh. but He was like, "I bet you could do this." And uh, Jake Schreier, actually, he's a director now. He did Paper Towns and uh-huh. uh, Robot and Frank. Really, like, we we need to reconnect. Um, but he, um, anyway, we've like made an album together, and uh-huh. uh, that was yeah. I guess I was maybe fifteen or something. And
0: did you? And you wrote all the. Lyrics and everything, and mm-hmm. performed it and all that stuff. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. It's my dad was playing a copy of it on a trip. We just we went up to Reno recently. My my grandmother passed away. Oh, sorry to hear that. And my grandfather in the in mm-hmm. the same month. But we were we were going up to Reno to sort of say goodbye to her, and mm-hmm. uh, he had a copy of this album and was playing it. It is not good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you say that, but I bet there's some little nuggets of gold in there, you know, where you say. Oh,
0: okay, that turn like a turn of phrase. I don't know. I couldn't listen or, to it. I really? It, turn it off. Are yeah, you just too embarrassed? I just it?
1: it's it's hard enough for me to listen to my voice on like songs now. I'm yeah. the worst on that. Oh man. Yeah, it's funny remember. how that is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you even like?
0: No, like, like when people when play my show, me a voicemail. Or like, like when I did the Nightly show, I remember um, people say, "So do you watch your show every night and critique it?" I go. God no you know I can't oh, watch myself you know yeah. all I think when I see it is like man his head is big you know like and I can't get past that yeah <laughs> and all the little ticks and you think oh I wish I could have done that so it I can watch it like months later I go oh okay that wasn't so bad yeah, like yeah. I start at that wasn't so bad
1: yeah that's, <laughs> yeah I, I feel that way about most things I've seen myself in where it's like if I have that reaction yeah. to it we're in good shape but yeah. if I what could... is this disgust that you have to
0: have for yourself I know. it's like like what is that is that part of the artistic process? Maybe. Like as long as I have enough self-loathing, I can <laughs> it I can, can maybe a create something. To do it, keep going. Yes. Exactly. Maybe if I ever
1: liked what I did, I would just stop doing it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You'd be satisfied. Just drop maybe. the mic. Just that's like, so, what it is. And leave
0: the stage. Yeah. Uh, decl- <laughs> declare victory. Depart the field. Right. Yeah. So okay. So you're Bay Area kid, you're interested in all these things, and you got. Athletics going on, and and now you go all the way across the country to Brown. You went to Brown University. You said, did. How'd you get over to Brown? Why why did you want to go to the East Coast and Ivy League and all what that you yeah. know portends, as they say?
1: Well, so like that-
0: where in others, where were you at that point in your life? What what did you what what did you think of yourself?
1: I, um, y- you know, I knew I wanted to keep doing this acting thing, and uh, and I knew I wanted to keep making music, so I was, mm-hmm. I, someone had, uh, uh, a guidance counselor in high school had told me that Brown did not have any core requirements, mm-hmm. which I thought was lovely. I did it's not like ever. like your hippie preschool. I didn't right? want to take another math right. and science class if I didn't <laughs> have to, so that right. was intriguing to me. Um, and then their track team ended up recruiting me. Uh-huh. Um, That's cool. And so did a few other. You know, I, I basically applied to like five schools. I, it was like mm-hmm. Berkeley, where my mom was working at UC Berkeley, so I probably wasn't going to go there, even though, you know, I right. love my mom. We're not gonna and you were obviously and I'm a, from there. And so. You were obviously a good student. Yeah, too. I was mm-hmm. a good student. Mm-hmm. But it was like Berkeley, LA, Brown, Penn, Columbia. Like those are the people who were recruiting me. Those are the places right. I applied. Yes. Um, I went out on a visit to Brown in the spring, which is what they do, they trick you. When you're from the West Coast, you don't <laughs> yes. know that it's like yes. freezing cold most of the year out there, right? But, exactly. Uh, I thought the place was really cool. They took me to a bunch of plays. Like they really got me. You know, like yeah. I saw a bunch of plays on Canvas. Some student produced stuff. Some sure. like by the you know. Some and you're
0: right by Newport, Rhode Island. There, which yeah. is beautiful. Um, it
1: is. It is beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I I liked the track coach a lot. And it seemed like a place where I would be able to do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I also. Um, uh, figured I would never leave California if I didn't mm-hmm. at that point. And then here's the the real thing that clinched it was, it was thousands and thousands of dollars cheaper for me to go there than to go to any school in state. And that's like really a how, dirt. That, how was a, that? Did you get a scholarship? No, or? no, no merit based scholarships in the Ivy League. It's uh-huh. uh, now now they are fully need blind. At the time they treated me as a need blind case anyway, but uh-huh. they um, this is uh, every. Poor kids should apply to the Ivy League schools. Uh-huh. Nobody tells you this, but they—if um, you are admitted, then they look at your family's f- finances and right. they create a package that they think will make you able to go mm-hmm. there. Um, and they can do it in a way because of their endowments that that state schools can't do. So, yeah, because they have very rich endowments, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah. I, you know, it was—I would have come out of college with like. Literally four or five times as many loans had I gone to UCLA. Wow! Um, and my parents would have had to pay thousands of dollars more per year.
0: And UCLA is on the cheap side of yeah. these types types of schools. That's what yeah. I'm saying.
1: So I, yeah. you know, I every time I'm talking to. Kids who are like, I don't think I can afford to go. I've, you yeah. should that. You are exactly the person who should be applying to the Ivy League schools.
0: You know, it's interesting. There is there is a huge gap, I think, in the understanding you're in high school about what are the real life possibilities um, of college. Of uh, a friend of mine, a friend of the family, he's a college counselor, and just when my kids were applying, there was so much that I learned, and it changes yeah. all the time. Oh yeah, so always being updated. You know, do you have any advice for? Like young people who don't have information or don't know how to get it who are obviously bright because there are so many bright people and they limit themselves. Right. You know, in terms of what their opportunities are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that really is it. I I do think if you are are interested in things. Yeah. Um, and particularly if you don't really know what the thing is yet, you yeah. should go to college. Like it's a, it is, it is that is yeah. the the time. It's this crazy time where you just <laughs> spend four years like trying to figure it out. Yeah, And there are phenomenal amounts of resources at your disposal. I always, I think all the time that like, God, what a waste of, what a waste. I wasted so much there. Like I yeah. was 18 years old. I didn't know if I had access to like a theater now. They produced a play that I wrote it was like that a 20-year-old wrote, you That's know what yeah. i Like, yeah. Uh, they're the kinds of resources there that you would kill for as an artist sure. out in the world now, you know. So, um, But I think in terms of figuring out information, um, you know, they also want you. Like, you can just call a university and be yeah. like, hey, I don't understand how— to get in there what do I do do, (laughs) who is this who do I talk to (laughs) (laughs) Um, right and there there are people there are actually probably representatives like alums in every in the city where you live yeah or or close by and they will send to like sit down and have a meeting with you you I'd
0: love to encourage young people to look at college and look at the opportunities there's a lot of snottiness sometimes these days towards universities calling them elitists and that type of thing I'm like well what's wrong with elitism when it means you're you're getting educated, right. you know. You're learning about the world. As you say, you you also make connections, uh, personal connections and friends that you may have for the rest of your life. And you also discover things about yourself during that time that yeah. had you just gone right into work or had you— you know, there's nothing wrong with taking gap years. A lot of kids like to do that too. Oh, yeah. But the college experience itself, I think, is invaluable. I, I mean, I'm a kid that ended up dropping out of college after a while, uh-huh. but but my experience in college actually shaped me for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's, and also just when else do you get to do that? I don't know. You really
0: it you it's hard to catch up later.
1: Yeah. You know, and
0: reshift that. Some people can. Right. But good luck. Yeah. yeah. That is not very easy. and, And so after school, so now you decide, do you remember the decision when you said, okay, I'm gonna do this for a living. You know? <laughs> yeah, I because that's another huge it is decision, right? Big step, right? People don't know. You can, it seems like, and even your parents, who they might have put pressure on you. Did your parents ever put pressure on you for that type of thing? Like, even though I'm sure they believed in you, right? It's At another a thing point. when they say, "All right, but motherfucker, what are you gonna do for your life? Yeah, like, how are yeah, yeah. you gonna make some money?" Yeah. Well,
1: I think it, you know. I think it's a decision you have to keep making. Actually, That's, I true, you know, yeah. I, that's true. I finished college and I went back to the Bay Area. And was just sort of doing plays, and I was teaching. I was substitute teaching, and I was doing some of my own like poetry teaching stuff like did that. Did you
0: kind of see yourself as an actor at that point in
1: terms of showbiz, or did, had
0: you not really know. defined it? Because I just said you were doing
1: plays, which meant you were yeah, performing. Yeah, no, right? I was, I, but it was pretty undefined. I, you know, for me, it's always just been about can I keep doing the things that I like to do, mm-hmm. and it, is there a way that I can. Make enough money to survive just right. doing those things, as opposed to having to take a job to do something else. Right. And so, you know, and the answer was kind of, um, initially. Mm-hmm. And so, but like, like you said, so every, every so often, I have to look at what I'm doing, and kind of reassess, and be like, mm-hmm. is this, is this what life is right now? You know, like, right. can I survive on this amount of money? Like, Like, can it's I... first, like,
0: <laughs> like performing, especially for a lot of people first is their side hustle. Right. 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 <laughs>
1: so how does that like for you how did the side hustle become the main hustle? I never did anything. Else. I it was never the side hustle. It uh-huh. was always just like not a great main hustle. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Know? That's how it was with me actually. Well, yeah. And yeah. so but and what happens honestly is like you lose skill set. I can't like a cash register these days, yeah. I couldn't even. <laughs> How do you, <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? I, when I moved to LA, yeah, you went to the Ivy League, and you can't use a cash register. Yeah, yeah, register. but like maybe there's... these are elitist institutions. For sure, they are. But like, look. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I moved to LA, and I, I it got it got real tight down there for a while. And I was like, all right, I got to do, I got to get some LA kind is of job. Brutal for, yeah, yeah, for people first coming here. Yeah. And um and so I, you know, I was applying for jobs. My mom was like. I called her one day. We we're just talking. I was like, "Yeah, I got, I have this interview today to wait tables." And she like laughed at me. <laughs> she was like, "You can't do that." Right. <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "I know you pretty well. You are not organized enough to do that job." I was like, "Actually, that's probably not a skill set that you have." But good luck yeah. to you. <laughs> and she was right. not wrong. Um, so that didn't last long. You know? No, I I ended up, you know, delivering catering to pharmaceutical companies like that was a weird catering gig. to pharmaceutical companies no what for pharmaceutical mean? companies oh, okay. to so f- this was this crazy gig I had for a, l- a little while it was right before I left to do Hamilton I was uh-huh. like for minimum wage would get up at like 5 in the morning and go to this restaurant and make these deliveries of like trays of fajitas to hospitals <laughs> that were kind of like bribes by pharmaceutical companies or whatever it was kind of like what? here here's lunch on behalf Half of whatever. By the way, take this Viagra on us. Yeah, no, I right. no, it was like, right. but it was like <laughs> for whatever company, and sort of like in exchange for them hawking their product to their patients, like really wow. gross stuff. <laughs> yeah. When did you? Uh, how did you meet Lynn Manuel uh, Miranda? This is another um, wild story. So I'm substitute teaching in the Bay Area, and this yeah. is. Um, so you had gone back up north. You were this in Los Angeles before I came oh, down it was to before LA. You this came is down. actually like. 2000 and I don't know let's say 9 or something 10 mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm substitute teaching and um, me and a friend of mine Anthony Veneziale uh who went to Wesleyan with Lynn, and they mm-hmm. had this group called Freestyle Love Supreme, and they was performing out of New York. I love that name, Freestyle Love Supreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. It's still, it's still, it around. sounds like
0: Lynn too. Yeah, you know. yeah. It's got the word love in it. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it is an
1: improvised um, sort of rap event, uh-huh. and but they're all they're all sort of like sketches and games that you play. And one of the things they would do at the time is like a love battle. They would invite audience members to come yeah. up and like battle each other for how much they could love each other. You know? That's hilarious. Um, but uh, anyway, mm-hmm. me and this dude Anthony, who was also substitute teaching due to a clerical error, were called to the same class. Mm-hmm. So we show up on the same day to teach the same class, and we we had never met before. And we were like, okay. And we at some point we're like freestyling with the kids. It was like, <laughs> oh, this is cool. And so I ended up giving him a ride home. See, yeah. had gotten dropped off there. People would never believe this in a movie, but I know. Or, and right? this is in this is right. also in Marin City in those Marin City projects. Very so nice. we're uh, so I give him a ride home. And we're talking, we're like, Oh, we do all the same stuff. This is weird. And I think Lynn had sort of just done like an off off Broadway production of In the Heights, maybe or something. Yeah, and, well he
0: in two thousand nine he I think he had already won the Tony, I think. Oh, was this, that, was this yeah. that late?
1: Yeah, or 2008. Remember. It was one of those years. Yeah, hmm, maybe this was eight. Then. No, maybe this was earlier than yeah, I think. To... I'm older than I remember. No, I know. And I have. I I know.
0: No, I know just enough about a lot of things yeah, yeah. to make it seem like I'm really <laughs> smart. But I really don't know anything deep about one particular thing, with the possible exception of the Lakers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and sleight of hand magic tricks. So. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yo, that's amazing though. Are you a magician? Yeah, we have to take to the castle one of these days. Yes, so, I've the been there castle, one time. <laughs> Uh, it's an incredible place. We'll do it. Let's we'll definitely go. do it, yeah. Um, but anyway... Right, so back this, to so this. So, yeah, so, so this guy, Anthony... teaching right? This guy, Anthony, <clears throat> I give him a ride right home. He's like, I'm trying to start this thing. It basically, he's like, come to, come to this house this weekend. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of, like, rappers there with, like, freestyle, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. it turns out I go to this house... <laughs> Called the House of Love in San Francisco, and uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> <laughs> and there's all these musicians hanging out, and just this sort of jam session starts mm-hmm. up, and this would be the group of people that he would end up starting this this group called the Freeze. That was kind of a West Coast version of Freestyle Love Supreme. Got it. So anyway, we start doing this, and eventually. Um, they, freestyle starts flying me out to New York sometimes to fill in when they can't when they don't have enough people to do gigs. Because wow. Anthony's like, there's this guy I'm working with over here. He's great. He totally gets it. He can do this kind of work. He's like mm-hmm. a trained actor and can do the sketch stuff, but also is a really good rapper. Um, so they would start bringing me out to do shows. And that's how I met Lynn, was doing this show. Wow. But like I met Lynn due to a clerical error.
0: Ah, uh, that's very um, interesting. Yeah.
1: And really you weird.
0: got to meet him in a non-
1: Like auditioning type of environment, you know, where where you're just part of the same thing. I wouldn't have. I don't audition well. I would never have been in Hamilton if I had to audition for it. There's no way. Also, I had never sung. They had to do so much work with me. Like, the first time I touched that was after um, we had done a freestyle show in New Orleans. We were rapping about sports celebrities on the super in the week leading up to the Super Bowl we right. were on Sports Nation live like from New Orleans oh that's funny and they would like invite sports celebrities up there and then have us come out and do a sort of weird like this is your life kind of like freestyle about them oh wow, wow. and so we did this super weird gig and then Tommy Kale the director of Hamilton who also is the director of Freestyle of Supreme was mm-hmm. like Lynn's got this new thing um, would you so be you
0: didn't know what it was at the time no no right?
1: um, no he told me it was like it's a so sort of like a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton I was like a terrible idea. He uh, was like, so you thought it was a horrible idea? Oh yeah, time. for sure. That's uh, hilarious, right? It's still not a good pitch, but yeah. he, uh, <laughs> but he was. Yeah, I mean, if you coldly think
0: about that, if people were honest with themselves, like if somebody told you, by the way, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do a hip hop musical with different, not only different rap styles, but just different musical styles within it, yeah. and it's about Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton. You, you know, would never. It the raises exciting all of sorts the- of red flags. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but I, you know, he, uh, he was like, "We'll pay you." So I was like, "Yep, I'm there." <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I went up to. New York Stage and Film Ambassador that summer, and he, you know, we were just working on most of the first act and like a couple songs in so, the second. So, so, was
0: Lynn, did he kind of workshop it? Is that how it first started? Oh, yeah. I mean, he had done, um, so at this he point, he had a
1: notion of a few songs at first. Or? At this point, they had done sort of a concert version of maybe like 12 songs. Um, no, at, at that
0: point, had they done the thing for the
1: president? He did that. That was the only song he had written. Oh, okay. Because there was a performance yeah. that uh, he did for Obama. Yeah. Where he did kind of a he did the opening song. Yes. Basically, yes, the, what would become the opening song, and he yeah. And that's that was, all he had. at That, that was point. all he had. Yeah. So they asked him to come on and do something from Heights, and he was like, mm. "Or I got this Hot 16 about Alexander Hamilton." That's how he tells that story, and they were like, mm, <laughs> "Like to see you in the Heights." <laughs> I think they were like, "Whatever, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay." Yeah. Um, but so after that, they did a, a concert version at Carnegie Hall or something of, like, 12 songs I was not involved in. You weren't in that? No. And then the next mm-hmm. step was this sort of on-its-feet kind of, I mean, at music stand sort of reading at Vassar. Um, that And so that was the first time I was a part of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Were you in the role you eventually became or were you just yeah. kind of just doing whatever? No, that was the thing they wanted me for. I think, you know, it later— and I was sure I was just a placeholder till they found somebody they kept sure. calling me back to do readings and wow. stuff and I, kept, and I kept telling them I was like guys I'm just I loved working on it so much so I was yeah. just like hey call me I'll I know I live across the country but like and Tommy was really great about being like, this one, if you can be at, you should be at it. Or this one doesn't really matter. But I I was at all of them.
0: I think that's kind of the Harrison Ford story I think, yeah. in Star Wars <laughs> where Lucas, I think, had used him in American Graffiti. But I think he was using him for auditions or something. And I don't think Harrison Ford, it was either for one of those movies where he didn't know he was, he didn't. Even think about getting it. He was
1: just helping him out.
0: Yeah. So it's like, no, I think you're on solo. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
1: I mean, that was even, even when we were off Broadway at the public, I was sure uh-huh. they would replace me for Broadway. Wait, while you're already in the production no. that, that was being done at the public? Yeah, and I was like, this is amazing. I got to do this show. And then they'll wow. replace me for Broadway with somebody you, with a Broadway Okay, crate. First of all, this is, <laughs> guys, you
0: guys have to realize who's saying this. This is the man who won a Tony <laughs> for this part. <laughs> And it was one of the most amazing parts. I have to give you props for your for the role of Jefferson Lafayette, too. Because you seem so suited for it. And to me, and if you haven't seen Hamilton, guys, um, first of all, um, if you're going to see it, where's it? I think it's in L.A. and Chicago it's right now. In L.A., well. Chicago, so, and yeah.
1: still on Broadway, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. I think the L.A. company is a touring production, right? Yeah,
1: so they're only here until December 31st, I think.
0: Yeah, and so yeah. I'm not sure where they're going to be next. But right. if you can see Hamilton— Listen to the original Broadway score so you can hear the original cast, which is nice. And these traveling casts are unbelievable themselves. But your performance of Jefferson Lafayette. Seems so like to me connected.
1: Yeah, I mean and iconic. He, he wrote like, it for me. I can't me, imagine so. <laughs> anyone else
0: doing it, and that makes sense that he wrote it for you.
1: Yeah, right. I, you know, I think once I was I was there early enough that Lin started being able to sort of tailor stuff to things that I can do. You know, so what, what was a, that process
0: like? Would he run lyrics by you? Did you help create lyrics? Kind
1: of. I mean, like Lin wrote everything in the show. I, right. I will not take credit for any single word of that. But yeah, I'm not trying to start of, any no, 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 yeah, S yeah. S cap feud. No, right, <laughs> um, but. <laughs> um but he would you know things like um guns and ships that sort of fast lafayette rap he would mm-hmm. he would he sent me like a little demo of it one time it was like i got some some fire for you uh-huh. you know i have i can rap really fast it's a party trick so right. i you know so he was like and he would send me these demos, and I would kind of be like, This cadence is a little tr- like, mm-hmm. what about this? And he'd be like, Oh, yeah, cool. And then, you know, like Washington on Your Side, which is sort of the Jefferson show off moment. Favorites. It's yeah. a great song, but that's a great song. He, you know, the little, the little like triplet, uh-huh. double timey Jefferson part of that wasn't in there until we were like in our second week of previews yeah. downtown, and he Came in and was like, I just realized you don't really stunt at all in the second act. So I wrote this thing, feels kind of like Kendrick Lamar inspired. I was like, you know, I'm down. We went upstairs, we learned it. It
0: just has that build. Yeah, yeah. We went
1: upstairs, we learned it. We put it in the show that night. It was this is very like collaborative. You know, that whole group is that's how they work. It's very. It's a very collaborative process.
0: I love Lynn the way he's thinking it through. I mean, you have in there are so many influences in Hamilton. Everything from the Beatles says you say Kendrick Lamar to
1: traditional Broadway. Yeah. To Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yeah. Almost, you know. He's yeah. got a really vast knowledge of a lot of he's got a great knowledge of hip hop and he's got a, an incredibly encyclopedic knowledge of broadway yeah and so it is it's really rooted in these two traditions in a way that's honest yeah. and that's why it works when it should yes. fail you know anybody else doing that would be faking one of those things
0: i agree and i think it's his love for it too mm-hmm. his genuine affection comes out in it as he does as a performer he always looks like he loves what he's doing but right. it really comes across even in the fiery exchanges in the music, there's a genuine affection that's in there f- oh, yeah. for the subject material as well. One hundred percent. Yeah, and, you he, know,
1: was, you know, and he's a history nerd too. So this yes, because yeah. he
0: connected to that character in his journey as well, yeah. and where he was from. Did you find any connection yourself to Jefferson as a historical figure <laughs> or Lafayette? Because uh, that's an interesting thing yeah. to think about. Or was it
1: all external? You know? No, I think you know it's really interesting. Lafayette, um, you know, is a. I think is in a lot of, as I started learning more about him has a yeah. lot of things about him that I would aspire to be you know mm-hmm. being that sort of devoted to a cause that is not even part of your country you know yeah. just to be like democracy is a thing that should exist yes. and I'm gonna go like I'm really ride or die for that I will yes. go literally ride this horse and die if I right. have to for this for this cause egalite fraternity, liberty. yeah yeah yes. and it's at this time <laughs> it's at this sort of fascinating time where during you know during the revolution it was like a it was like a a a French aristocrats were coming over to fight in the war but they didn't really want to fight the elites yes, (laughs) they were like it was like a status symbol in the French aristocracy to have been to have some rank in the American army and Napoleon
0: was on his way
1: yeah you know, yeah. he was just around the corner. And, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but most of them, you know, there are letters from Washington to Congress being like, we, please stop giving us these rich French people. We don't have anything to do with them. <laughs> That's <Right>. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's so um, funny. We just have to keep giving them positions and they are terrible. Um. Yeah. But Lafayette was sort of the exception to that, and he was, you know, a, a, a really great general. And him yeah. and George Washington became incredibly close. Mm-hmm. And, there, you know, so that was fascinating to learn about. And then Jefferson. Now Jefferson's interesting yeah. because there's so much that is known about Jefferson yeah.
0: from so many different points of view. Yeah. 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 What was it about Jefferson that stood out the most, or maybe that
1: you connected with? I think for yeah. me, finding my way into Jefferson was about, um, and I. I I figured this out when I read something about his earliest memory being of of being carried in like a bassinet by slaves, and I was like, okay, uh, that's yes. a kind of privilege. Like, what yes. you have to do in order to play Jefferson is understand privilege, absolutely. Um, and so that's what I sort of had to. I had to become like really comfortable with the ways that I am privileged with my male privilege, with my. But you know, to right. to. In my imagination of Jefferson, because he is also genuinely was a really smart dude and mm-hmm. an incredibly creative person, thanks to having a ton of leisure time and like you yes. know. But he was he was really a Renaissance
0: man, yeah. but also an aristocratic Southern gentleman. Yeah, and right? I think
1: that you know. So the key for me to playing him was about how do you what is the level of privilege you have to have to walk into any room and assume that you are the smartest person in that room <laughs> and the most attractive person in that room oh, and that's the, great. you know which is yeah. also uh, uh, and you know my grandfather was a pimp so there's some, you know what i'm saying like there's crossover there there's that uh-huh. that kind of presentation of swag it yeah. was a thing that i was like that Wait, you to you your res- grandfather actually, was a pimp yeah yeah so like your grandfather told you stories of him being a pimp much later i'm like really? oh you know but uh by the way, uh grandson, I was a pimp what yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he never i mean he never referred to it like he was a hustler in all sense, he used to run gambling rings out of Oakland wow. and like you know sold drugs for many, many years um and uh so he but he's the way he presented himself mm-hmm. in a lot of ways was what I was stealing for Jefferson. Yes, cuz um, you really physicalized it in a sense Yeah. where you wore that privilege in your physicalization, right. of Jefferson. And I think that was yeah. for me that was the key. It was like the 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 most intense privilege that you can that you can imagine. How do we physicalize that? And yet likable, too. Yeah, well that was that I mean that's the real that's what I was stealing from my grandfather. Right. He is an incredibly likable person. I yeah. think that you know, um, in my imagination, that's why everybody would listen to Jefferson so much, even when he contradicts himself all sure. the time. You can make somebody, and this is not apparently true of how he was in real life, but if you can make somebody who is that charismatic publicly, mm-hmm. um, that is a person who you, you know, you give a pass for a lot of things, and yeah. you, you, you know, um, that's yeah, that's
0: what. Was there any kind of eye opener because? <clears throat> The most uh, you know, s- stark thing about this production, of course, is using people of color to play what, are ch- what were historically white characters in this and making its own statement with that. Was there anything about the doing of it itself or maybe some of the history of it that kind of opened your eyes or something that you felt you learned from it or whether it was a
1: history lesson or – or yeah. An experience lesson, or well, it's so many history. I mean, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. and I, and I am not. I don't do a ton of research for my parts. But like, the, how much did you know about Hamilton? I knew everything. I knew was from that got milk commercial, right? That he <laughs> got shot in a duel by Aaron Burr. Like mm-hmm. that's the extent of my knowledge of him. Right. Um, so, I I learned a ton of history working on this. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but for me. What it really did, and I think this is it was part of the show's success, and it did this for a lot of people, I think, mm-hmm. was gave me a sense of ownership over the story of the founding of this country, which I had never felt before. I never felt yeah. particularly American. You it know, felt like it not, was someone else's story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or a, a story that I was born into, but that wasn't mine, you know? Yeah. Um, I
0: always say I felt like I'm at
1: a family reunion, but I'm not in the family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're like the You're like married into it or something. It's like yeah, not true. yeah.
0: So, kind of the experience of this kind of made you feel included in, in a sense.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it. Yeah, it allowed me to participate in mm-hmm. the in the American experiment in a way that I never really had before, and I think yeah. that's that is the real power of casting it the way that that they did is that yeah. that it does give and that's that's what theater does too it's about imagining other circumstances it's about yeah. giving yourself ownership over a thing and that's yeah
0: know. it is interesting to me because i like to break things down <laughs> my yeah. I mean, that's the way my nerdy brain works like for many people who come here their first experience of america is an immigrant experience that has this opportunity in front of them right. and for many blacks our it's a history that is behind us that is problematic mm-hmm. yeah as opposed to the road that was in front and it's Hamilton in some ways it doesn't correct that history but it gives a different um way to experience that history right you know that that I, it makes it more for a people to have a joyous celebration of that more than just either an intellectual study of it or right. or an agreement like yeah, yeah yeah that happened that happened yeah yeah totally <laughs> no yeah it allows right.
1: us to participate in it and like have fun with it as well which is yeah
0: in a way that was hard to hard to imagine so and now you're doing all kinds of things um uh, acting, of course, more. And you, um, how much is rapping a part of what you do now? Do you, is that something that you're interested in in terms of doing, like putting material out there? You're oh, doing yeah. something for the
1: NBA now, right? Yeah. Well, so hmm. with ESPN, so I'm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I have this band clipping, and we we are always putting music out. But right. Um, and then. I am in partnership with ESPN doing some songs so we did one for the Warriors opening night and we're working on a yeah, on a Christmas a solid, song yeah. right now uh, but it's you know sort of, rap songs and videos that are kind of tied with specific sporting events
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's been really interesting and by the way all of these projects I work with the same people on everything so uh-huh. so Clipping my band is making all the music for all of this stuff and then right. we are also I, I'm an executive producer of the show The Mayor The
0: Mayor uh, have to put information out there I've worked on The Mayor yeah. too there's a as a um, consultant producer. Yeah. Uh, so much fun. Honored to have you in there. And, oh, man. Uh, honored to be a part of it. How did you get associated with, with how did you get together with Jeremy Bronson? Our, the, uh,
1: we shared an the agent main. who was like, you, you guys should hang out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did. And he told me about this project. And I was like, that's yeah. what do you want me to do? And he said, executive produce. And I said, yeah. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, that's all right, You'll figure it out. Je- let me tell you, Jeremy Bronson. I mean, when he talks about you, his whole face
0: lights up. He has such this appreciation for you as an artist and what you bring to it, you know, uh, Jeremy, who created the uh, show. And he's an interesting character because Jeremy comes from kind of both the political area and the creative area. And then, you know, to mix... With you from the hip hop world and but also from the dramatic area, yeah, kind of interesting. How how much did you have any input on the story at all in the beginning of the mirror, or was it just the musical part of it? Or? A
1: little bit. I mean, I would I would make suggestions here and there on the story, but my bigger concern, you know, Jeremy's great at that, mm-hmm. um, and he has a, a great understanding of these characters. My the thing that got me excited about it mm-hmm. because he wanted to make this story about a rapper. I was like, great. Then yeah. wherever he is from is incredibly important. Yes, and we ended up setting it in a, in a fictional Northern California town called Fort Gray which is great because that right. feels like home um, but that wasn't always the case I mean in that meeting I was like well where do you want it to be set and he was like well I know it I don't want it to be a big big city but right. still a city and he, you know he threw out like uh, like, like Memphis, or which I was like well that's really interesting mm, that comes with these sets of codes and the yeah. rap music is going to sound like this you know like but it was it's basically my all the Lights that were firing in my brain was like, well, what is the what is the musical foundation that we right. give to this character? How does if he is a rapper, then the the community that he grew up making music in affects everything. It affects yeah. his political view. It affects everything, right. And so, um that was that was what was exciting for me because I don't think I can't think of an instance. On television where rap music has been presented like that in a way that is how it actually functions, which is a pretty local politics-y type of Mm -hmm. thing. The only time you know we see hip hop on shows like Empire and stuff where it's where it's big. It's it's it's, global. It's global. And that's that exists, but that's such a small percentage of the people who are making the music. Whereas like Um, those of us who grew up making it and when you when you really study rap music in general it's incredibly regional and it's very very specific rap music and music does
0: that in so many ways but rap S- starts off very provincial.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Anyways, yeah. and then it becomes a thing and then everybody embraces it and then it's like right. you know, it it can lose some of that, yeah. you know. Yeah. But
1: we're and we're in this interesting time right now mm-hmm. because th- thanks to the internet, you know, everybody can influence everybody, so like yes, whatever, that's true, you know, yeah. so now you know, hits right now sound uh, all of them pretty much sound like mm-hmm. like Atlanta. Right, sound like the music that's coming out of Atlanta because right. they are sort of dictating what the the hot sound right now. Right. But then you get these exceptions like a like a Kendrick Lamar, yes. who you know now we can see a lot of sort of direct imitations of him, yeah. and that and that sound becoming kind of an interesting. He's thing. He's redefined
0: you know? kind of that uh, L A rap, yeah, yeah, which had a
1: certain which sound. had its renaissance too, yes. and there was and that right. was and so there were people sort of jumping on that too. But uh, you know. Um, but still, for when you start doing it, you know before yeah. anybody knows who you are, your real influences are the people around what's you, around and those you, yeah. and those sounds are really specific. You know, mm-hmm. rap from Memphis doesn't sound like rap from Atlanta; doesn't sound like rap from Tallahassee. You know, uh, uh, it's it's this very sort of specific thing. So, yeah, I love how authentic you wanted
0: to make it and everything. Well, what, what's the mo- like? If anything stands out with with that Bay Area rap, what is it in your mind? Like, well, what is that different sound to you? Or, or the thing that really makes it stand out and different? Um, the, Maybe the, you can give us some examples. The,
1: <laughs> that, but, you know, the upbeats are really important in the Bay. If you go to the Bay, okay. you can't, people can't see what I'm doing. Yeah, he's but, he's doing his head yeah, up Yeah, but right. like, w- mm-hmm. when you watch people dancing, it's the, the emphasis is on the up. So it's if like, you're okay. nodding your... alright, yeah, I'm up yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So if you're like <laughs> nodding your head to the beat and, and your head is coming down on the one, two, three, four. But the accent is really on the ends of that one. Ant, 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 ant. Okay. So that's a. Uh, that's kind of like a. A, a very Bay Area thing. Uh-huh. Um, we also there it, the drum sounds in the Bay tend to be really hard compared to a lot of other places. We mm-hmm. don't we don't like sort of weak sampley sounding drums, right, right. jazzy sounding drums. That's not that's that's not as much of a thing up there. Not a ton of of sampling, but a lot of sort of synth work, yeah. um, and then. And also, you know, a dialect stuff. So I have Brandon, Brandon Michael Hall, who, who who's the star is of, the, the, star mayor. of yeah. the mayor. He, um, he, uh, we met in New York after he had been cast, and it was so great to meet him. But I was yeah. he had never been to the Bay before, and so I like arranged a trip for him out there and uh-huh. just sort of like dropped him off with some friends of mine. and Was That's like, funny. teach the boy, and uh, <laughs> he, had, he had like a couple crazy nights out there, and. Um, but, you know, there's also a dialect thing that he's been really diligent in. It's really impressive. Yeah. Um, but hard R's, which is rare for black people Say, give me in an this example. country. Uh, 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 so, like, uh, I don't know why I can't think of any word with an R in it, like the ringer pods, right? Okay. It says that right there. We'd be like the ringer. We really hit that R, which is not. The a, R at the end? R at the end and sometimes in the middle, too. The ringer. Um, as opposed to, as opposed to, uh, as a, I can, I have a hard time doing slang that sounds like anywhere else, <laughs> but so you know what I'm saying? All right. Like the ringer. Or yeah. The ringer. Yeah. So oh. there's a tendency in a lot of black vernacular to drop the ends of words. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that. Um, and in the Bay, it's kind of the opposite of that, which is the reason. One of the reasons there's well, a lot the of. Well, by the
0: time black people get to the end of the word, we're ready to move on, right? Right. So
1: we don't we don't feel like why am I at the end? Why yeah, do yeah. I need to
0: say the end of the word? I'm already to the next word. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You guys deal with the end of the word. I'm gonna move on. Exactly. <laughs> so, but in the, I think one of the reasons that a lot of really proficient, fast, technical rappers come out of the Bay Area uh-huh. is because of our tendency to hit the ends of the words.
0: That is so interesting because even like with Hamilton with Jefferson, like every word is so. Cr- yeah like hitting those (laughs) words is amazing because you match speed (laughs) with precision yeah but you don't lose beat and rhythm at the same time
1: yeah and I'm a product of my environment you know I grew Uh up listening to E-40 who does that too but like I you know we who we had on the show hey hey did you you really I gotta listen to that episode yeah he did a little uh,
0: guest spot on the show
1: that's the greatest rapper of all time there you go um uh, I I was on tour. We were on tour. My band, Cleveland was on tour with this band. They hate change. Um, uh-huh. These these kids from Florida, who are fantastic. You should go check out. They hate change. Um, but they, yeah. one of them, we were hanging out after the show one night. He was like, "Man, Digs, you rap like you got the cleanest teeth. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> hilarious. Like your teeth are always real clean." <laughs>
0: I was like, yo, I've yo, never man, heard what anybody.
1: Kind of, what kind of toothpaste do <laughs> you use before you? Rat? I never heard anybody <laughs> describe it like that, but that is, I like that. That is kind of accurate. <laughs> the cleanest teeth.
0: That uh, is very nice. So what? And you did a little stint on Blackish for yeah, a while too. Are yeah, you, are I'm going to go be, back. Are yeah. we going to see more? I, I sure hope so. It's, more, funny it's more.
1: about scheduling right now. I love that show. Right. I. Um, and now after like working on another show behind the scenes, yeah. I am so in awe of yeah. what y'all get to do over there yeah. you know like that is it's a big machine and it's amazing though I mean it's it's putting out really important work and, and that is not an easy thing to do at a network you know <laughs> like no, it's, it's, that's it's very challenging very challenging so yeah. the you know the it is even I was already impressed by that show and I'm even more impressed with it now yeah. Um, but I, yeah I love Johan the character that I get to play He's on there fun, and so yeah. I um, yeah it's mostly been about schedule that I, I have I just there, like
0: but... seeing Jennifer Lewis ogle you oh my god the... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah working with Jennifer Lewis is such a trip man. yeah she's, she's amazing she's amazing
1: everybody there though
0: uh, do you think you'll do Broadway again is that something that you'd like to do do you
1: think it's fine I don't like I I, I w- if the right project came along I'd totally yeah. do it I I wasn't I wasn't gunning for Broadway anyway mm-hmm. and so um I don't feel Feel a particular drive to go back. That is not yeah. when I think about doing theater. I that I like smaller theaters. Mm-hmm. I like um, I, I like sort of smaller plays. I like I, you know I've I've never done a musical yeah. before or since. So like I'm interested in going getting back on the stage for sure and doing mm-hmm. like a nice straight play at the Public or somewhere you know like. Mm-hmm. Um, Something with that kind of audience interaction, where yeah. it's a little, it's a little more intimate. But I'd, I'd do it on Broadway too, for sure, if the, if the right thing comes along. But I'm not gunning for it,
0: right? Where are you seeing yourself as an artist? Did, like, do you feel like you're somebody that you have something to say right now, or are you just looking to do different things? Like, are you interested in politics? Are you interested in culture right now? Like I think you stuff, can't like you not as a, be right now. You mm-hmm. know,
1: I think. Um, uh, Every choice you make right now as as an artist, as any kind of artist, but I think particularly as an artist of color, is going to be a political act in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what has been interesting that I've been thinking about a lot lately is that choosing a project that is really smart, um, th- where every character in the project is intelligent, mm-hmm. where... Um, where being uneducated is not celebrated yeah is a politically left act at this point wow um, yeah. so that's that's what i really you know that's um I'm working on this show snowpiercer that we did a pilot for for tnt and it is one mm-hmm. of the smartest shows i had ever read which is why i said yes to it uh-huh. um because it's a it is a a show about multiple different classes um but everybody in the show is smart and that I think that that is a statement that is a political statement um and it's an intentional one and I think you know um our band clipping is is we sort of there's no first person in any of the music that we write so Mm -hmm. it's all sort of like hive mind rap stuff but we've had to start becoming a little more clear about our politics I think too in these times whereas you know um yeah we're we're working on an album full of horror-themed songs, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> you know, the things that you choose to be scary are are political. You know, what is—there are scary things just about—I mean, we saw this with Get Out, right, which right. paints just— being black as as a horror just the experience yeah. of being black is a horror film. I mean and it's that's... viewing
0: guests who's coming to dinner as a horror movie. Right, right. <laughs> which for some people it is, depending on which side you're on. What today. did
1: Jordan Field didn't he just tweet that today, get out yeah. as a documentary? <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Because they put it, I think, in a comedy category for something. Yeah, which it's hard to categorize a movie no, like that, yeah, which I sure. find actually liberating. Oh my god! When it's
0: hard to categorize Thank something, yeah, we, I find that as a plus. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, the yeah the categories of things are often, I think, what is what make it makes it so difficult for us as creators to yeah. produce things the way we want to right because you right. get a bunch of other hands in there being like well Completely. this has got to be a comedy so we have to like well people like to pigeonhole this not, business yeah. it makes it easier to sell I get it to a degree except that it's making the product worse yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is bad business, I thought, but well, I'm be, also not a good businessman.
0: No, yeah, I think you're doing great. And I just want to thank you for sitting with me and hey, man, uh thank you. Wishing you the best of luck for all the stuff. I mean, I have so much. I see your future completely, you know. <laughs> well, that makes one of us. But I love the fact that you want to do smart things. You know, all those things are conscious woke choices, you know, yeah. that we make all the time and they're not accidents. People think they're accidents sometimes when How did you get involved in that smart thing? Because we chose to we do chose it. We chose to do it. Yeah. Yes. We were offered
1: a bunch of dumb shit and we chose the smart one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's pets. you know,
0: saying yes to uplifting something is Oh is man. Well, always a That's one of the big things about
1: Wonder, like coming back to it, which I hope people check out this weekend because it's, it really is, um, it's about kindness and it's about, you know, it's about, uh, it is, it is a great antithesis to our sort of political situation right now. And I'm very like, that is so, that is a thing. And it was a thing that I didn't know what it was going to become. I shot it in four days. It was done really quick. So just seeing it now, I was like, oh my God, I'm so proud to be a part of this. Yeah. It's sort of validation for you go through your life and make these Mm -hmm. choices, right? And and you're you're sort of just making choices going through it. And then occasionally you get to sit back and see something and be like, oh, I'm so happy I made that choice. Like, this was right I can't wait to
0: see it. Everybody, please go see Wonder. Um, We're we're actually playing this over the Thanksgiving holiday. So you have plenty of time this Thanksgiving holiday to see this. Go see it. the mayor on ABC, yeah, catch yeah. that
1: Tuesdays nine thirty. Listen to Check the Hamilton that.
0: soundtrack. Go see Hamilton. Didn't do that. Everything David is into, you guys. So, you gotta go see it. This and is also
1: it. I will say this about the mayor too, because ABC never says it, but like mm-hmm. the music we make, are, it comes out every Friday on iTunes, yes. Spotify, whatever. Like, and Friday. so you Fridays, so just go listen to that music. It's look how many very ways you guys
0: get to experience David. Oh my goodness! <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm already in your home. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks so much, Debbie. Thank you, bro. All right, talk to you later.